You are listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. BMX is his world. Rad is his way of life. The world would be a lot better off without kids. We're here for the biggest and most important bicycle motocross event ever held, Helltrack. This is a very important race. The very finest riders in the country are here riding for some $100,000. Helltrack in this big town. They've got to be kidding. This is a joke. I really think I can get this one. I think I've got a chance. I don't want to hear any more about it. Everyone's on his case. Get that. Welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast. If that doesn't want to make you go ass sliding, I don't know what, what will. You've been knocking it out of the park on the intros, Nathan. <laughs> uh, Tani, welcome again. Welcome to you too. Um, Thank you, Ock and Nathan. It's really, really a pleasure to be here. And it's not just any welcome today. That, that's right. This is a... To the, so the best of our estimation, there was a little bit of a fuzzy start to our beginnings, but uh, we are recording episode 33, which uh, puts us, well, date-wise anyway, we're about a year in. So this is about our one-year anniversary show, and um, maybe not since we first got aired on Mountain Bike Radio, but definitely from our first official recorded show, which was episode one. There was an episode zero. <laughs> that didn't with get released. Bad recording equipment. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, our, our, our goal was to, you know, send you an episode every two weeks. Um, and I think, uh, we're about a year in and 33 episodes in, so we're doing a little bit better. So, yeah. uh, this there's is, some bonus episodes in there. This is fantastic. Um, so, so but, yeah, happy anniversary guys. Yeah. Um, well, one year, one year, one year. Wow. Man. Feels like about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the time go? I know. Uh, well, we hope all the listeners have been enjoying listening to the show as much as we've had fun recording it. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who's been listening for for the past year. And if you've listened to all thirty three episodes, I'm impressed. Yes, very much so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so maybe we get started with a little bit of shop news here. Yep, as usual. Give us the shop news. So mostly it's about demo days. So we've got three manufacturers coming in in the next month or so. Actually, in the next few, yeah, over the next month, we've got three manufacturers coming in. The first, um, first would be the giant demo day. Uh, and actually, maybe not date wise, I'll just kind of go down the page here. Giant has two dates coming up. One is Sunday, November 13th, and one is Saturday, December 10th. So again, November 13th and December 10th. Both dates are Saturday, or one is Sunday, one is Saturday from 9 to 2 p.m. at the Live Oak Shop. So again, Giant's coming up. They've got two dates, uh, November Sunday, November 13th, and Saturday, no- December 10th at Live Oak. Secondly, we've got the Pivot Demo Days as well, two dates, uh, and they are... Uh, Saturday, November 19th, and Sunday, December 11th, both from 9 to 3 p.m. at the Live Oak Shop as well. Pivot has some pretty phenomenal bikes, uh, as does Giant. And same with the the third, uh, last but not least, demo day coming up is Rocky Mountain. So I, I wonder if they're going to have some Slayers out there. So that's coming up, coming up on November 3rd. Uh, that's actually the soonest, Thursday, November 3rd. That's actually, you will probably hear this show after the Rocky Mountain Demo Day comes up. So 
That's in two days from now from when we're recording. And that's 430 at uh, at the Live Oak Shop. And it's going to be combined with our Thursday night mountain bike shop ride. So anyways, uh, if you guys want more information on the demo days, always feel free to check out the www.thepathbikeshop.com and go to events. So those are kind of um, what's coming up for the for the for demo days. I think coming up this weekend actually is also the Bike Revolution. The uh, yeah, Revolution Bike Fest. Revolution Bike Fest, sorry, and that's at uh, Irvine Lake, and it's going to be a huge event with um, some bike shuttles and lots of bike demos. Um, Picture like a trade show for for um, consumers, kind of. I think, and a festival, kind and of a like, gathering of the yeah. tribe, like a mini sea otter with no racing. Right, right, right. Like a mini sea otter grand fondo. Right. Yeah, grand with grand fondos. So for all of you guys all over, I think there's going to be. I think there's camping going on um, on site. Yes. Yep. Definitely. For sure. So there's camping going on. If you're from out of town, there's. There's a ton of different places to stay that are semi-local. Um, there's going to be again a lot of um, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of bike riding. The path will be there. Megan, Lou, myself, fantastic. So, so that's gonna that's what is that Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, Friday Friday night is Friday like arrival. Night. Saturday and Sunday, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. So. So show up, um, hang out, and it'll be a great weekend. Yeah, I think it's kind of it, it's kind of a good opportunity if you want to do a lot of demo stuff. So if you're in the Southern California area, probably the slam dunk for you to go, or like the number one slam dunk reason, if you want to try a bunch of new bikes, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to try a bunch of different brands in a short period of time. Yeah, I think there's going to be some workshops where, where you can learn some different things, like, you know, maybe how to check it out on on the revolution website but there there's going to be a lot of activities and it's also going to be a great place to see all your old mountain biking friends and road biking friends and get get together and that's it's being put on by matt wanger who does the over the hump race series and so this is kind of his new creation so those in other words those guys know how to put on a a pretty decent event yeah if you've ever been to the uh, over the hump Bike race series, well put together, family friendly, yeah, uh, well organized. Well, and a, a lot. We were talking a little bit before the show about how it's a little bit difficult to kind of encapsulate what this is going to be and create, like, establish a vision uh, in a quick summary. And really, if you think about over the hump, it's a little difficult to quickly explain what's so great about over the hump. But I think a big part of it is that um, those folks understand how to serve basic human needs and make it a good human experience with a lot of the kind of (laughs) intangibles and subtleties. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as far as the over the hump race series, it's still a phenomenon to me. I, I, you know, I've been racing mountain bikes for a lot of years and I've seen a lot of small weekend events in Southern California get like relatively small turnouts. Some get good turnouts, but man, those over the hump races, that especially the first one of the summer when they come out swinging and 600 people sign up to this it's insane it's a it's a mountain bike cross country mountain bike race after work at 6 p.m. and 600 people show up in southern california it's like there's a tra- traffic jam on the way to uh, tur- turning into the venue yeah exactly it really is. it's 
Now they're they're not always hitting six hundred, but every time you go, there's you know four to six hundred people night after night after night on every Tuesday night throughout the summer for I think twelve races. So it's 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 still one of these weird anomalies that I I scratch my head and look at and go like, wow, this is more people I've ever seen in a mountain bike race like than almost anywhere else. It's it's really amazing. the The cool thing about it though is it shows you how many people want to mountain bike race in in our area. Given yep. given the convenient opportunity, which I think there's some magic convenience to the Tuesday night race. That is that's that's very true, and I think hopefully they they tap into that magic and and bring it all together for the Revolution Bike Fest. Yeah, for sure. So cruise on out. Hey, one last thing I wanted to mention on this um, on on shop news, and maybe it's not just maybe it's bike news in general. Is man, I was checking out the new giant hail. They came in. Oh, dang. It's the women's rain, basically. Yeah. Except it's been redesigned more recently than the rain, and it has all the modern uh, giant design cues. Yeah. Like the carbon link, <clears throat> the trunnion mount, boost spacing, I think. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. It. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, the speculation when that bike first came out was that that was a precursor like that was going to be the new rain. Like there's going to be a version of that as the new rain that we'll see next year. But what you were saying is giants kind of like, no, the live line's kind of taking on its own, its own, you know, legs. Well, I think kind of both are true. The, the live line is its own thing and they are designed from the ground up as what they are. And they take design cues and they both benefit from the design, the, the design concepts that, that are being developed in the parent company. So they're, they're both going to have a lot of the same design cues, with like the training mount and the carbon link and so forth. Right. And I think, um, they're going to, I think that the, um, the hail represents giants, more current thinking on that style of bike and what they think about a woman's version of that kind of bike. And the more current part will make it onto the rain. Yeah. I, I imagine the rain, it's going to have different, you know, like the giant line typically does have completely different geometry and they're completely tooled. At least the front triangles are tooled completely separately for the women's line. Um, but I anticipate the rain's going to look relatively similar. I wonder if the next rain will follow along with like the Rocky Mountain Slayer and some of the rumors we're hearing about some of the other iconic six inch travel next bikes. Meaning it's going to go closer to the mini DH bike. Right. A little more travel. Yeah. It it makes sl- sense. I think whatever. It couldn't go much slacker. No. It really, <laughs> yeah. They're pretty much at that upper limit at that 65 head angle. Um, I mean, you only have two more degrees and then you're at full World Cup downhill bike range. Yeah. And yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that metric will ever swing back the other direction even a little bit like maybe back from 63 to 62 to 63 or 64 and a half 64 oh right so we only have a it's it's literally every degree on out it's like 67 trail bike 66 all mountain 65 enduro 64 downhill boom 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 i also wonder if some of these current really really long reaches are past optimal i'm starting to really wonder that it it could be. I mean, highly dependent on riding style, right? You you have to augment your riding style quite a bit. Or not quite a bit, but you need to know what, the tool that you're using when you're riding a 65-degree head angle bike. You got to ride, ride it like you mean it. You know, you guys know Matt V at the shop? 
Yeah. yeah. Did you see the video of McHenry of him and McHenry that was on Facebook? Uh, I don't think I did. Pretty cool. They have a new jump up on that ridgeline. But yeah, um, Matt made a Matt's a pretty ripping rider. Like a lot of people don't talk about it, but he's fast and he jumps and big. And um, he and I were chatting the other day, and he commented without without hesitation and without any doubt in his voice that he prefers a little steeper head angle, like the older process one fifty three, and feels like he wants to keep his current his twenty. 16 process because he likes the 66 and a half degree head angle as opposed to like a 65. Huh. So, so we're starting to see little, little bits and pieces of evidence that we may have creeped up to, you know, the upper limits of enduro bike, long, low slack. And where you would really want a slack head angle, like he's not afraid to go fast and not afraid to jump big and not afraid to go down steep stuff fast. Right. So like, He's a good lip. I feel like if he if he feels that way, there's definitely a place in the world for that. Right. That makes sense. And I don't know that I want to I, I feel like maybe the best reach for me on a medium is 17. And like some brands are passing that and it's kind of making me uncomfortable. I don't know what to feel about it. Right. Yeah, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit, right? You almost where yeah, how long how long is too long? Well, and everyone finds themselves a tweener sometimes, but like if they're going to go longer than 17 on a medium, then let's go a full inch longer so I can get a small. Right. And you're, <laughs> and you're, and you're talking reach, reach numbers in, I am. in barbarian units. I am. Yes. And as we've talked about before, um, that reach is he- the head angle changes the interpretation of the reach. Right, and so does head angle in particular. Well, number of spacers, um, st- I guess stack height even does. Right. We're, so, and basically, you're, there's three points in space that that are of interest: that head angle and reach and stack. All it's where your where your feet are, where your hands are, and where the front axle is. So maybe maybe that 17 number isn't as universal as as it could be because it couldn't be the same for say a long travel, but couldn't be the same for say my one fifty three and my tall boy, even though both are about 17 and both feel pretty good. Right. Hmm. Hmm. So we could, we could be seeing a little, it's going to be interesting to see what some of the, you know, when you start to see some of the reviews from the big, the big players, like I'd love to see Vernon Felton's take on the new process. One fifty three. Um, you know, he's one of the, he's the writer that came over from bike magazine now works primarily for pink bike and does some pretty solid reviews. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd be really curious. And he really loved the original process One Fifty Three. I know some of the reviews he wrote in bike magazine were really, really solid. He, he loved it then. I'd be really curious to see his new take on the, you know, 15 millimeter longer versions and slacker versions. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy time we live in. <laughs> I got a question. Is it just me or is it impossible to find the geometry on the on the giant website on the oh, new hill? The geometry is so giant doesn't report all their numbers either. Right, but they don't even they report any BB. numbers. Oh, they don't have any numbers. I can't on the find hand. it on the hill. Maybe it's just like it very oh, well wow. could be me. So when I used to look up 
uh, geometry numbers for the rain when the rain first came out. Yep. The, the data on the press release, like the pink bike press release, was, was, was more, more complete yeah. than the data on the website. <laughs> like they had stack and reach on the press release, right. but they didn't have stack and reach on the right. website. You had, Nor did they have bottom bracket drop on the website. Yeah, they had or no, bottom bracket height. Or bottom bracket We're going to hammer on this. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, giant. List your numbers. <laughs> they just decided to go completely the other way on the on the hail. They just said, hail to the queen. Yeah. Go ride it. Exactly. What's the geometry? Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> just so ride it. It's this awesome. is the bike that Lee, Lee Donovan was talking about on our show. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the one that she was testing and giving feedback on. Yeah. She, no joke, in private, really, really likes it. Yeah. yeah. In public and private. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's Lee on the on the I think she's on the cover of the giant website. On the press release? Yeah, <laughs> probably. <think> so. Probably. <laughs> Anyways. Um yeah, so that's uh I seriously might take that demo bike out. The hail? Yeah. Cause it looks cool. I was just thinking it looks I would ride that. Have you seen it? It Dude, looks good. <laughs> I think it looks good. I and they, it's not like pink or anything. It's got like a little splash of purple here and there, but who cares? I think it's cool. I wonder if they changed the layout much, but it's still got to be burly. I mean, you're not, you're I mean, not I'm a not big like a, dude. Yeah, I know. I think we could all ride that. Just thing. a little guy. I'm a yeah, little, a guy. little guy. Exactly. <laughs> so I found, I found the geometry numbers 60 on the hail, 66 degree head angle, 74 degree seat angle. Um, let's see. Reach. Reach on a sm- on a medium, which they're calling it an eighteen, which sounds like a long seat tube for me. But I'm, women have long legs, so that's good. At least the lucky <laughs> so ones. Stereotypical. Um, forty three point nine reach. Ooh, that's like a four, that's four thirty nine. Yeah, yeah four thirty on a medium. That's pretty long. That's pretty long. Four fifty on a large. That's like close to what a large. Bronson used to be like an original large Bronson. Actually, maybe even current large Bronson. I think it's current large Bronson because the 439 is current process, I think, on a medium. Mm-hmm. 440, yeah. 460 is a large on a process. Yeah. Man, you could almost write a large on that. 17.1 chainstay. No bottom bracket height or bottom bracket drop listed, sadly. <laughs> Unreported. You play like a girl. Hashtag giant. <laughs> um, ride those bikes. <laughs> you ride like a girl. Thank you. <laughs> if it's anything close to Lee Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of standover clearance. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Did you guys see we got that new Giro switchblade in? Oh, yeah. That helmet looks pretty sweet. Yeah. So what do you think of a when you take off the face, the the chin bar, and it still covers your ears? I I was going to ask you that. I don't know. <laughs> what, what, no, what do you think? <laughs> I'll do it if you do it. Um, I think it looks bitching. It reminds me of Sanjay somehow or something. Um, I've seen some racers wearing it. That I, I really like it. it. It takes me back. It feels like kind of, uh, you know, early BMX days. And so I, I think that's really cool. Um, it's a decisive look, though. I'm curious what. Distinctive, distinctive, yeah. It may it's like borderline unique. Well, the, here's the big the big function to me is not necessarily that I would ride without the face guard. I don't really care about that. Like maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But the big thing is if when you have a water bottle on the lift, you can pop that thing off and you can drink. You don't have to take your helmet off. 
But is it harder to take your helmet off or take the chin bar off? I don't know. It's really easy to take that chin bar off. Have you done it? Yeah, it's super easy. Really easy on and off, like it, about as easy as taking a helmet on and off. Yeah, exactly. But I saw it. So, like, I saw a couple of the Giro riders having those at the Crested Butte race earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, Kelly Emmett had one. And then she had, like, a fanny pack. And so she'd take the chin bar off and just put it in her, the waist belt of her fanny pack. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> she had the so purple hip. one. So hip and so cool. <laughs> she had a purple helmet, I think, or lavender or something. She's wearing the lime green one on the website. Oh, okay. Maybe well, it I guess it's one. downhill rated, unlike the Bell Stupor. Uh, it yes. passes some higher level of testing. Yeah. Well, ASTM has a downhill helmet standard. It's ASTM 1952, I think. And that one has a, a helmet standard. One thing to watch out for is if companies rate it to the full face portion or the not full face. It basically, you can optionally rate the chin bar, which is probably just a deflection number, which probably isn't that big of a deal. Um, but uh, it does... I think take harder impacts than some of the other ones. I just think my ears would get hot. It seems like it could take a front dull hit better than the bell. Yeah, it seems super solid. And it looks way cleaner. The I mean, it, it's a way cleaner connection of the chin bar than mm-hmm. than the super two RE. Yeah. And you know that I think the tipping point like I think this is a lift assisted kind mm-hmm. of park riding kind of I, helmet. Yeah. I just I see it probably feeling a little on the hot side if you're like really trying to ride it. You know, like if you're going to go do a six hour enduro in the heat, maybe taking the chin bar off isn't quite enough, but then maybe you can take yeah, it. Yeah, I could see I that. Know. It doesn't look like it has like a lot of rear exhaust vents. Yeah. And I just think the cover. So I t- that's a great, I think, assessment, Nathan. I-, I think riding this, yeah, for like that, that long or in warm weather man my ears would just bake it's got a real nice vi- or like um goggles um strap spot oh yeah the that and then the, the there's a really cool part about this visor i think there it comes with two visors if i'm not mistaken one is an uh, adjustable yeah. visor and the other one is a gopro mounted visor yeah. and when you pop that one on it it eliminates the adjustability so it's locked in position and then you can slide a gopro like a session underneath the the edge of the visor so it's pretty cool that i thought that was a really cool little innovation i like the lift assist um uh application of this yeah definitely yeah for me this is like a park helmet but maybe short rides in cool weather with a fashion statement yeah yeah i i really like yeah push-ups in laguna yeah. Well, and, or if it's a cold ride and you do want to cover your ears, like it's golden for that. Like if you do want your ears to stay warmer. Yeah. Which, it's, I mean, yeah, it's October. <laughs> yeah. Like win- what was the winter ride? San Juan rides. What was yeah. the ride? We, what, what, man, when we did the shuttle up in uh, the sand caves. Oh, yeah. Or, or oh, that man. one ride where it led to that man wanting to punch you in the face off. You're right. If we're here. Sock him. Punch him in the punch face. Punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, the ears the ears would have been good on that. Oh, uh, we almost have to tell that story. <laughs> oh I, I'm kinda curious. Is this oh, you've a, never heard that story. I can't say that I have. Oh man. So some <laughs> some number of years back we had a um 
let's call it a team building event. It was. <laughs> it built some teams. <laughs> it did. <laughs> um, we, as a, basically the whole crew from the path and Auk, and I don't even remember who Joel else. Elrod, oh, sorry, Joel, Joel E. <laughs> we, we rode up to Cocktail Rock at like, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night or something, yeah. and everyone brought cocktails. Yeah. So I had brought uh, a, someone brought a two liter bottle of root beer on, at my behest, and then I brought the cocktail part of it. So we had a really good time at Cocktail Rock, like yeah. for an hour or two. Yeah, no and more two liter bottle of soda. I can characterize the descent in just a few comments. When I stood up to get my bike, I fell down, <laughs> and at the bottom, almost everyone had, had blood. fallen down. Yes, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, you know how San Juan has a lot of switchbacks? Yes. At one point, I just decided I was at the switchback, and I committed hard to the, to the switchback, <laughs> and I was probably 30 feet in front of the switchback, and I just like dr- <laughs> like hard committed drifted right off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Solid. It was, it was good times. I mean, Cocktail Rock was never – that was never better time, and so – the cocktail of choice that Ock was involved with was a, was the root beer and um, and Bushmills. So one of the young ladies who works at, worked at the path at the time crashed pretty good, and after enjoying um, some of the root beer, and, yeah, and she could dish it as good as she could. Like she was nodding over her head, right? And she was fine. But her boyfriend got a little protective and made some comments that will live on in infamy. <laughs> and he's a great guy, and he's still friends with all of us. So. <laughs> I don't know if he likes me. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I think he. I think. I think I got back on his good side. <laughs> but okay, I still so, like him. So this part, you could tell even better. But the the, the aftermath of this, how, why Ock is no longer in his good in the good state. <laughs> well, I think I think you just took. I think he felt uncomfortable with the situation, and I think that somehow you were the one he blamed. I was the point man. <laughs> you you instigated. I I. I enabled, yes. You were ena- you enabled. <laughs> <laughs> Instigated and possibly maybe both. Drunk, maybe, drunk cyclists maybe would be proud. he didn't want to try to punch Teague in the face. Right, I don't know. Right. Or John Durfee. You know, probably yeah. didn't want to punch so, John Durfee in the face. So. Sorry. <laughs> Keep saying the names. <laughs> now John's going to get stalked for the rest uh, of his no, life by sorry. one of our listeners. Sorry, John. Anyways, he showed up at the shop one day, right? Oh yeah, that's the best part of the story. Is not the story is even better, right? The aftermath. He showed up at the shop and was talking about how he wanted to punch Ock in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I still have to just. I have a problem with repeating things that stick with me. <laughs> sometimes I just say, like, ah, if Ock was here right now, I'd punch him in the face. <laughs> Well, so I guess the moral of the story is buy the new Juro switchblade and have it ready to go in case you're going to get punched in the face. Well, and any time you have too much fun with someone else's girlfriend, they might want to punch you in the face. (laughs) This wasn't that kind of fun. This was that kind of fun, but it wasn't the the other that kind of fun. It doesn't have to be that kind of fun. It's like... (laughs) It's like, yeah, you know. It it was. You're right. You're right. And also if it's dangerous. Right. Ah, okay. Right. Right. Danger? (laughs) <laughs> Danger, fun. I could see the yeah. booze. Yeah, a man could become territorial. 
the man could become terrified. Luckily, the young lady in, in question is a f- fully empowered woman. <laughs> <laughs> that she is. She is one of the harder charger downhill women that I know. And, man, ultra endurance bike rider. And, yeah, she's pretty amazing. Super smart. Su- yeah, super smart. <laughs> so smart that when you talk to her, you can't tell. <laughs> she's one of those people that, and I, Sarah, you know, I love you, but she's one of those people that, like, oh, you, <laughs> you talk to her and you're like, you're like, she's like, huh? And you're like, what? Like, am I, are, are you processing what I'm saying? But, like, she, not only is she processing what you're saying, but, like, she's filtering it through, like, nine different algorithms and, like, yeah, she's wicked smart. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like PhD wicked smart. <laughs> so smart, she doesn't have to worry about cars going sixty miles an hour on highway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh gosh, um, yeah. Well, so this is the story of Akon. She's like a, you know face. she's yeah. in like high level like acad- academia. Oh, yeah, that's why I say PhD smart. Yeah. She and is. like working in that field, like Very not just so. has a PhD, but like continues to work in oh, yeah. the field and publish like, and like professorial PhD. Professorial sort. takes sabbaticals to work on her work. So yeah. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need time off work to work on my work. <laughs> and not just, and yeah, in her field of study where she got the PhD smarts is a very well, highly respected Man, I really wish I was smart enough to be able to take a sabbatical to work on my work. <laughs> I, I would know I hit the smart jackpot at that time. Man, well, uh, yeah, that yeah, was, that's a whole nother level of self motivation that I don't think I have. Yeah, man, that was a fun night. That was a fun night. We maybe, should do that again. Yeah, we should drinking and riding. Maybe it's a ten. Maybe it's a ten. Are we approaching the ten year anniversary of that other time? Did I, I rode San Juan the other day. Did I tell you guys about it? No. no. I, I caught brief window. So of it. it was like a classic th- blast from the past. Biff Biff called me or texted me that he was coming down from, from slow. Biff? Yeah, Biff was in town. Oh, my gosh. So it was Biff and Santos. Are we allowed to use last names if we don't use the first name? <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, I think it's, it's just a last one name. name person. Just one or the other, yeah. Okay, so it's Biff and Santos and I did an, a, a we back in the day when we were all racing downhill, we would shuttle a lot, and so we went and shuttled San Juan, and it was the day after it had rained, and there were still lightning storms in the distance, and it was awesome. It was so good, and I forgot how flowy San Juan is. Very that, flowy. That middle section of San Juan that has all those kind of like turn into like almost a G out, but you can pump it, it can make it flowy like over and yeah. over again, like so good. Man, we should we should do the nighttime shuttle of that sometime. It's been a long time since we did that. Man, that was. I mean, shuttling it takes just about as long as riding it, so you really have to be committed to the shuttle, right? Yeah, or or you, or you get a. But it is there is something like you shuttle. You could wear jeans, like <laughs> yes. There's something pretty romantical about it. Yes, and and just to fill people in, the rest of the people who aren't in Southern California. San Juan is a is a really good long single track that's road accessible top and bottom. It's in South Orange County, and it often comes up as uh, 
long, well, not so much anymore, but it used to come up as one of the Emba epic downhills or like one of the best downhills in the country. And uh, I think it still is. It just doesn't get as much attention as it once did. Well, and it, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like a 30 to 40 minutes of climbing if you shuttle it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of climbing even if you shuttle it. Um, what is it like? The whole downhill is like twelve miles or something. You know, another trail I haven't ridden in a I long think time. It might be, yeah, yeah, because we would yeah. start at like ten and wouldn't get back to Denny's until. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty late. Well, so because so many people climb it on the weekends, it's kind of like common courtesy to not shuttle it on the weekends, and especially not shuttle it if you're getting after it. But the kind of cool thing is, and some of the few times you can really get after this trail is if you run it at night. And it's part of the National Forest, so you can you can run it with lights. Yeah, so we did it on a weekday just after the rain, and we we saw, like, one other rider. That's awesome. Right, yeah. Weekdays, it was awesome. The, the other cool thing about this trail, at least in Southern California, is we don't get a lot of rain. And when it does rain here, all our trails are, like, clay, and they turn really crummy but this trail has a lot of decomposed granite yeah. and it holds up the best in the rain it's kind of the rain trail destination it was perfect for there was we, we we weren't barely leaving tire tracks right yeah it's so anyway it's epic downhill shuttleable super fun good after rain trail you could stop at cocktail rock at the way down <laughs> yeah and cocktail rock is i mean it's kind of the center point of this trail where a lot of people climb to that point and turn around or it's kind of the juncture of like the upper loop and then the lower trail right because if you climb up to cocktail rock you have to descend a little bit to finish the climb up to blue jay uh yes basically that, that and third that thing that is the 30 to 40 minute climb coming the other way yeah exactly exactly so and anyway. then I haven't ridden Chiquita in forever. When was the last time you guys rode Chiquita? Probably right. with yeah. you. Riding San Juan made me think of Chiquita. Man, a lot of people actually, don't like Chiquita. I think it's actually Chiquito. Chiquito. Because it's, it's named a, after like it's a, a man. mule. It's a man, not a woman. <laughs> yeah. But we've, so, I've called it Chiquita my, ever since. I, probably because you've been calling it Chiquita. <laughs> shoot, man. Shoot, man. The luge. Yeah. <laughs> the loogie. Uh, we should go ride Chiquito. A lot of people think that trail doesn't have flow, but I kind of think it does. So yeah, Chiquito is a it's another trail up in the San Juan area in the Upper Loop, and it's a it's a small loop that's pretty darn technical. It's got big boulder rollovers. And Are you stuff. talking about the Viejo Tie Loop? Oh, I'm talking- sorry, shoot, man. Whoa, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's what happens when you have your your. Computer oh, linked up yeah. to your phone and everything. Awesome. Hello. Apolog- apologize for <laughs> Not that. Not at all. Actually, looking at it, I think that was my college calling for money. Yeah. But not money I owe, money of like, you graduated, give us money. Exactly. We need that money, Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is that is my alma mater begging for money. Um but the Viejo tie. Yes, the Viejo so yeah, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the Viejo tie loop, but Chiquita, Which is also a fun loop. Yes. Yeah. So Chiquito comes off of the Upper San Juan Trail, and it's a more tech, still technical, still a lot of rock features, um, but it takes a little bit more logistics to do that trail. It's it's kind of either an out and back or a weird shuttle, or and even from from Orange County, it's a, it's a fairly long drive to get out there to the to the candy store. Yeah, yeah, I think from from like our part of Orange County, you can go out through like Antonio. It's not too bad. I think it's still a good forty five minutes plus to yeah. the candy store, though. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about the it's same like distance. A little over half an hour to to the lower right. lazy W or whatever. Whatever, yeah, whatever that place is. But anyway, yeah, another good r- super rocky trail up there. That's 
that's that's super fun pretty technical we have so many good trails you can like almost forget about them sometimes well i know once you it well probably everybody kind of suffers from this phenomenon right like even the people who ride in trail areas with good trails which i consider us actually in an area with good trails they're just not like all from my house right you got to drive 20 30 minutes here or there but when you've ridden them all so many times you kind of like it's fun to kind of hang out with someone who's new to the sport every so often because then they're like oh man i want to hear ride this trail it's i hear it's awesome like san juan's awesome it's like oh yeah i haven't done san juan forever like you know for we could do a whole trail review thing oh yeah we could even make that yeah that would be right there on the show we had an idea for the show awesome the thing about the san juan and the chiquita chiquito trail (laughs) is that it's a pretty long what how how do you say it the cost of entry is is pretty large for a boat for it, well this that's area. why a lot of people shuttle it though because it's because you don't i mean you still have to be able to climb 3000 feet to get to cocktail rock or right. maybe 2500 feet but you know what the compared to anything else that's going to give you 30 plus minutes of uninterrupted single track descending the cost of entry is pretty low yeah it's it's relatively low like but the dry to say yeah. tribute the Chibuco Trail right. or the Holy Jim Trail. But, the, right. but you have to add on to that the drive to there. For yeah. the, for anyone from this side, even in the canyons, you have to add on the drive. So from my house, it's about 35. For me, I, every, it's weird. I live in this weird little vortex where everything's 30, 30 minutes from my house. <laughs> the Oaks right. is 30 minutes. <laughs> Oaks is a little closer. The Oaks is 25 minutes. Yeah, see? <laughs> 50, maybe 20. You Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. so Tani lives in one of the local canyons here, and he has he's tucked up into our big mountain range. But essentially, you have access to the the one trail you have, the one legal trail you have access to is like close to your house is a eleven mile fire road climb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like a it, par, from my house. What riding the luge is just as convenient as parking it. Cooked, it pretty is much right. Yeah, yeah you that do have access pretty close. to the luge and whiting, but the big trail that's right at the end of your canyon is like, hi, twelve mile climb, four thousand feet. Top. Sign yeah. up here, <laughs> Mac- Maxwell's favorite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> climb here. I actually really like Harding. I think it's a. I think it's a cool climb, and it's not like it's single speedable. It's not that steep. It's no, relentless. no, it's not. Steep, it is relentless. It has a very cool relentlessness. It is. That, that's yes. a good way to put it. Cool relentlessness. Like even yeah. if you, even if you know that you're gonna, even if you know every inch of it, there's still a sense of of like, oh yeah, I still you know, like a whole <laughs> huge segment of it will kind of unfold before your eyes, and you'll just be like heartbroken by it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so yeah, I mean. Probably our listeners in the in the Midwest and back east may may not have as many of these type of trails, but I mean, probably the Colorado people all have this experience where it's like it's that ride that takes you four or five hours to do this loop, and three hours of it is just a solid climb, just climb, 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 climb. What are you climb, talking climb. about, man? I can't climb Harding in fifty two minutes. <laughs> twenty four inch front wheel, twenty nine inch rear, no front brake. <laughs> Yeah. What one of the things Dual we were talking about? Cut off both my arms. <laughs> save <Yeah>. weight. <laughs> yes, zero. Have no fun on the downhill. <laughs> fun on the downhill is not allowed. <laughs> well, but making that twelve mile climb gets you access to 
it gets it gets you access to some 12? good It's Hardened like fourteen. Well, right. I think it's like twelve. No, come it's on, like fourteen. No, it's not that much longer than I think. It's really long. Maple Springs to the top is nine. Maple Springs to Four Corners the same place. Yeah, Harding is, nine. is longer. I know, but it's not fourteen. Is anyway. It? <laughs> How fast was that rock traveling at the bottom of that big hole? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that it's so if you if you start accelerating accelerating up Harding, Ock will accelerate at <laughs> yeah exactly. So okay, uh, again to give to give frame of reference to those people not in Southern California, which we do get some criticism about, uh, this particular fire road out of the back of Tani's house gives you access to a trail called Joplin. Joplin is what the original Crank Brothers dropper post was named after. Mm, Yes, that's very true. I thought it was named after Janis Joplin. (laughs) (laughs) Negative Ghost Rider. Yeah, um, Yeah, I've heard... I've heard Joplin referred to as the seat post trail by like Mandel and others. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's yes. someday I'm gonna take him on the seat post trail. Oh, see, so Harding to Four Corners. Nine miles. Nine miles. That was my Nine. Okay. Harding to the peak is twelve point four. Twelve point four. Okay, that's there what we you go. had in mind. Yeah. That's what I have in mind. And, and then it probably, feels like fourteen. But it, <laughs> and it really does. That um, does feel like it's fourteen. How many feet of elevation in that nine miles? That's like it's like three and a half grand. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm guessing it's about that. I want to say thirty seven, but I'll maybe say you'll that's know. like three yeah, and a half grand. Three and a half like grand. That. Like that three and a half grand. segment about, <laughs> from, about on like, Main Divide from the top of Harding up to um, Bajeska Peak is brutal. Is one of the most demoralizing <laughs> segments of trail. Yes, but for those who really like to be demoralized, I recommend going up San Juan. And then climbing up to Santiago Peak from San Juan, because that is actually oh the most demoralizing <laughs> piece of fire road. You get well, you give up a lot of elevation on fire road. Oh, and it's so loose and steep, and you can just barely ride it for so long. And it's just gnarly. It's just fire road the whole time. So yes, our Cal- our trails in Southern California are so awesome. Come to be demoralized <laughs> on fire road. It's awesome. <laughs> Not well, all, but th- that but one. from that from Santiago Peak, you can on a clear day you can see the entire Orange County Basin, and then you can turn around and pretty much from the same spot see the entire Inland Basin and Big Bear. Yes, this and is Mount Baldy, like it is an amazing spot. It is on a clear day. Yeah, and from that point, the access to epic downhills, dropping you name both it. sides. From that point, upper Joplin, mid Joplin, cold water. You could go down lower Joplin and then hike back up it. Yeah, oh or, my gosh. or break the law. Tribuco, you've got. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I haven't ridden cold water in a long time either. Man, we cold should go ride. We should go. We should do a tour of the Santa Anas and do a show talking about each trail. Smash is Smash Face a trail we can talk no. about? No. Hmm. Hmm. yeah there's no two ways about it no no. there's not a trail called smash face (laughs) no sadly there was an incident (laughs) called smash yeah (laughs) um but we can do we can talk about cold water right yep as long as we hike back up and don't exit on private property that's true which All Nathan. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. You seem like you want to say something, Nathan. <laughs> I 
I just want to make sure our listeners want a full tour of our trail system. <laughs> they do. They're going to come okay. to SoCal. I mean, I like hearing about trails elsewhere. Fair okay, enough. So, so the, the, the standard fire road climbs up to the top of, of these drop-in points, it's really not that bad. I mean, they are big rides. They are big rides, but so I, okay. Wait a minute. 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 I, I'm gonna. I I call I call shenanigans on this. <laughs> and here's why I call shenanigans is let's be realistic. We've been riding these mountains for a very long time, yep. and the way that I have heard this described is, and and for most people that mountain bike, and I think we are a little disconnected from the general mountain biking population, that mountain range dick punch every trail to get up to that ridge is a dick punch and that's the way i've heard it described from good riders who aren't accustomed to those kinds of climbs are they good and fun yes are they easy are they manageable not by your average rider that's my contention my contention is our frame of reference is skewed okay I, I'll, I'll give a, I'll get, I'll help Nathan create this picture. When I'm going to tell us when I, when I was, I've been riding for like two or three years and a good friend of mine who still comes in the shop and rides with us named Kevin. Kevin is a phenomenal athlete for many years. Kevin owned the fire Academy chin up record in a minute. And it was like 60 or something like this guy wow. is an athlete. And, um, I rode with Kevin. We used to ride together quite a bit and, as we got better and better and we had done some park rides, we got directions to ride up to Majesca Peak, to Santiago Peak, because we wanted to right. bag yeah. the peak. Yep. Kevin bonked about like hundred, like one switch back from the peak. Like I was at the peak yelling down to him like, hey, I'm up here. I made it. <laughs> He's oh, like, man. yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Like, and he is one of the, like, he is one of the few people who I will like without hesitation stay, say probably could beat me at a stubborn contest. <laughs> like and I pride myself on my stubbornness. So yeah, it can be a hard ride. Y- yeah, but <clears throat> I will say this: from Four Corners up to the peak, that feels like an entire another ride. That, another, another. But my my <laughs> point know? is this: in this particular mountain range, I'm saying it within within the framework of. And I've been in this circle of people that play in these mountains for... I was in that right. circle very deep for a long time. That's true, yeah. But once you extricate yourself from that a little bit and you get to that general mountain yeah, biking population right. that I, thinks I going to Whiting you. on a Saturday is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I've lost Which is like this. 80% yeah. of the riding population and you take them up to these big mountain rides, they it's like unfathomable. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's but I think huge. a lot of our customers are, if you know what 4,000 feet of climbing is, then you right. know what 4,000 feet of climbing is. Correct. But a lot of people don't. If, you know, what, if yeah. you know what 5,000 feet of climbing and 14 miles is, you know what, I mean, it, and it's yeah, not yeah. even at elevation. This, well, <laughs> it depends. For some people, I mean, it by, is the you to, by the time you get to by the time you get to the top, I guess bit. you're starting to have a little bit of elevation. That is very true. So, Nathan, I, I have to. Once in a, I, I will say this that um, people that I've ridden with, we've done the uh, the, the Black Star to, to Motorway Loop. Yes, and that's that's kind of I think maybe indicative. And yeah. so many people will do the initial part of Black Star up to the golf ball, and then turn right. around and head back and and consider that a good ride. And it is a good ride. You know, right. that, that's probably what. 14 miles uh, up and back and but 
want to get on the main divide to finish this loop, it ends up being a 25-mile loop. Um, yeah, I I think I've lost friends on that. What's harder, route. Blackstar Motorway or Maple Motorway? Blackstar Motorway. Right. That's what, you can do Maple Motorway now. So but, I guess, but wait, wait, wait. Getting back to, to this, say, we've uh, we've all taken people on these rides yep. that weren't quite prepared. Right. And they are very demoralized. Or angry. Or angry or, or broken. Both. We might not know because we don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. All that I, to say that, yeah, okay, Nathan is right. It's a fra- uh, my, I guess my general point is frame of reference. <laughs> frame of reference, keeping yeah, it right. Our listeners are hardcore, though. Yes. You guys are hardcore. Yes. Yeah. We love you. <laughs> you should go ride Main Divide, just the whole thing. I, that's I think that's Tony's favorite ride. I, I've heard him say all that. of Main Divide. There's there's a, there's one particular ride in this mountain range that um, comes down a ridgeline trail, and I, it's it's on the maps. It's legal. It's you know Tribuco to Bell Ridge, and I've had friends at previous jobs. They're like, "Oh, you riding this week?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm doing this ride. It's like a five hour ride." They're like, "Oh, that's pretty long." I'm like. Dude, this is. I'm like, I'm sorry. You you shouldn't come. You on this shouldn't ride. come like, on this ride. This is a. I. It breaks up friendships. Like, <laughs> if you don't know what you're in for, if you don't fully understand what I'm ex- like, distance, elevation, brushiness, primitiveness. If you do not fully comprehend all these descriptions I'm giving you and fully appreciate and have gone through this before, don't. But don't. even the downhill <laughs> like, aspect of it, it's it's a burly. Early. Bell is a formidable experience. Yes, I've seen people crack pretty hard. The thing, the thing, Bell is emotionally difficult because it has a weird way of really, really inverting your ego hard. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say a gender specific getting kicked in the dick thing, like, <laughs> but, but you get in. It can make you feel very fragile. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of. There's a lot of just moments that feel like a sense of danger and you can get defensive. And then right when you kind of start to feel disheartened, there's this really steep hike a bike where it's like one step forward, <laughs> slide half a step back. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. You just feel like you've totally lost control. Like you can't, you feel, you, you start feeling clumsy. Yes. Like, uh, there's a little bit moments of little tiny, like hints of despair I felt out there. Especially like the first couple times I did it with like a vast group of guys where yeah. they're like moving out on the down and they're speedy up on the on the big hike of bikes and I'm like I'm, I'm I might be out here by myself for a long time <laughs> and it's like well, scary it's the, one of those trails <laughs> that frequently pushes so I like to ride and and even hike a bike in a place where like I'm I'm decisive I'm um. I try to stay graceful and light right. and um, try to stay, you know, where, where I'm doing what I want to do and not just kind of shuffling Surviving, along. Yeah. yeah. But that trail can put you in a play, a survival mode. Well, but and so the, I, I have a theory as we're describing and talking about these really brutal trails, I think there's been an evolution in, in, so in the times that we've ridden these trails, which I think I rode this trail with Tani in 1999, maybe. Yeah, it sounds right. Okay, so from there until now, I think that there have been a lot of trails built throughout the country that are mountain bike specific. Flow is a new term, 
berms, jumps, all these things, these types of trails have really started to come online all throughout the country in different places. They're documented. Everything's um, like it's, these are mountain bike trails, right? And this particular mountain range that we've been talking about is full of very primitive, like old, just remnant forest service trails, hiking trails. Like these are old, old primitive trails. And I, I've almost felt like, and in, in, stop me if I'm wrong, but I've felt like the popularity of hmm. this particular riding area has fallen and only the most dedicated core people still play in these hills. And I think it's because a lot of the newcomers to the sport are getting, you know, let's say you came out into the sport five years ago. Hmm. You're, you know, the term bike park is a standard thing. We didn't have bike parks 20 right. years ago. We didn't have shuttle services. We didn't have, you know, like people are like, oh, I want to go up to Oregon. Do they have shuttle services? Like, right. is there, do the bike shop run shuttles? Like that was, man, back in the early 90s, there was like one place that ran shuttles. It was like in Moab. And Moab was like this mecca of right. mountain biking. But like Oregon wasn't having running these shuttles. Like, there was no shuttle in the LA, you know, the mountains east of Los Angeles. Like, so I think a lot of these more primitive trails have almost like reverted back to the original, like, you know, hardcore pioneers of the oh, sport. Oh, you think Bell's gotten more raw? Uh, or the people I, that no, ride it? I think the popularity, oh, right, like, right. meaning, like, I think your average rider that say, Maybe as used an, to as, as an aspirational right. thing. Like I remember when people were getting into the sport ten years ago, people were aspiring to be these gnarly backcountry riders. Like that was the goal. That was what they were working towards. And like they'd ride on the weekends and try to do a harder trail and a harder trail and a longer trail and a longer trail. And now people, I think, are aspiring to go to these areas of amazing trails with flow and they're open and maintained and marked and navigated and shuttle served and all that. I think when people are like, oh man, my next goal is I want to go up to Ashland, Oregon. They're not like, oh no, I want to tackle this gnarly backcountry trail in my backyard. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. I will say this. I've had some of like the most bonding, amazing moments on in a, in a, non-sexual way uh, <laughs> on bell ridge yeah if right. you can lose friendships friendships can be sealed oh my gosh oh, yeah. that is Absolutely. so true friendships are forged on that like, i mean like yeah i mean you you help peel luke out of there when he smashed his face up on right. it right yeah so but i'm i guess it's more of like as, but as even but like I, i'm not hearing of rides on bell ridge like weekend after weekend after weekend right. like i did 10 right. years ago i do think it's who you hang out with too though like if you hang yeah. out with like Wonderly and Larissa, you'll hear about them. I'd see. I, I think the, I don't hear about them as much as I did. Yeah, maybe they just don't do them as much. I think I don't think anybody's doing them as much anymore. Not even about. Not even maybe Carl. About. Okay, we're, we're talking. He rides one, everything, but, but it was like, <laughs> but we're we're talking. So right, that's what I mean. Though it's the core people who have been. Everybody who's hitting Bell Ridge is either on that ride or being led by on that ride is someone that's got 15 years experience under their belt. Yeah, you're probably mostly right. People are probably riding Ding Dong and stuff the bottom. I, I, even that, I don't think so because it's so hard to access. Yeah. Have you ever tried? It's really hard to get up it's there. It's pretty steep. <laughs> steep. I just entry. think like you might as well if you're gonna ride if you're gonna get up it that way you might as well ride Tribuco and ride the whole Bell. It's a slight <laughs> exaggeration. Yeah. 
So anyway, um, and I, I wonder if it's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious if any of our listeners are finding this in their local area. I'm sure we have a lot of core riders that, you know, and there's little pockets in Colorado and Utah and um, Arizona and, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, it's the old forest service. You know, you found, like, I remember when I was in college, I found forest service trails when I lived in New Mexico and went to college. We found trails on old U.S. geological survey maps. And now you turn on trail forks and you get trail conditions and rating and, you know, corner by corner description and pictures and GPS maps. It's like, I went and got maps from a library. And that's how a lot of these <laughs> right. trails got, got found. Well, you know, it's one of those things. When I watch some of these, um, you know, some of like the Trans-Provence video and some of the bigger races, and those courses, they remind me more of, you know, not that I've ever raced on terrain, those. but not brushiness. True, True. brushiness is a different is a different factor that's pretty unique to our mountain range. Yeah. The brushiness gets out of hand. But that terrain, that big burly, that's the San Gabes. Yeah, that's the San Gabes. It's that rough, gnarly terrain, not brushy. Right, right. But that's why I mean I don't know I really that's one of the big allures of the of the Santa Ana's to me is that burliness, that rawness. And you're right, the brushiness adventure. Adventure. Right. The right. brushiness can get really out of hand. That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can get next level. But right. I mean there's brushiness in other parts. I've been on done a ride out at Baldy that was ridiculously brushy with Buckthorn tears shirts up and things like right. that. But um anyway I wonder I, I guess what I'm getting at is like are we seeing kind of a shift and I think it's good because that there's these more defined riding areas. But I also think maybe there's something getting lost with the getting like really pickled in the back country and really buckled in the back country. Yeah. I think it's good for those to stay kind of one percenter trails too though. True. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I would say they're like five. Not one percenter like outlaw. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. like motorcycle gang one percenter, <laughs> but it's it's the senior, you know. Man, I got that makes me want to go ride that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just one trail at a time, though, Nathan. No <laughs> up and over and over, down and up and overs. Yeah, figure eight <laughs> loops, long loops, double double hitters. Now yeah, that day we went up Tribuco and down east towards oh Thief yeah and backup indian truck trail and that was a long day kelly jennings would not be happy on her nutrition plan and in, in it uh, dealt with del taco burritos <laughs> i was happy with our nutrition plan <laughs> i think you needed about eight more of them <laughs> give me another burrito <laughs> a burrito every half hour probably enough sodium <laughs> man yeah that's oh gosh and who knows well the San Gabe's weather-wise might be getting really nice right now. It's getting close. So, yeah, that's the other big thing. If you're in Southern California, check up, check out the SCOA shuttle. It's starting to get into primo weather time for the the um, San Gabriel shuttle out of Pasadena. Yeah, there's <clears> – <throat> you probably get into a couple months now and then a couple months in the spring where it's it's not too hot and it's not freezing cold. Uh, I don't think it's going to get freezing cold for a while. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this the 
as with a lot of riding areas that can get hot in the summer to the f- and can get snow in the winter, the, the, that fall and the spring are the yeah. primo times for, yeah. for that area. Those, uh, it's good times. Do we want to do any listener questions? I'm or down. Did we, we want to talk about the tires at all? Tires. I love tires. <laughs> I'm always game to talk about tires. So you want to lead in on that, Nathan? So, Nathan, you had read some stuff that sparked some thoughts on tire casing. Well, so I mean, I so I'm about two or three weeks into the cyclocross season here, and so um, a lot of cyclocross racing going on. A lot of the races are double headers. Anyway, in cyclocross land, people like to run tubulars, and with a cyclocross bike, right? There's only so many knobs you can turn to make the bike change handling, whatever. Right? Tires become a big deal. People are obsessing over one. One, two, three PSI and tire pressure. They're running them really low. And a lot of people like to run tubulars. Mm-hmm. And you're also, by if you do any UCI racing, you're limited to 33 millimeter width on the tire. You can't go over 33. Oh, interesting. So, like a lot of the like WTB 35s and the 40s, you can't, you couldn't race those in an official race. Right. Most of us don't race official races. But so everybody's into the tubular tires, which you guys know, I mean, you glue them on the rim. Nightmare, right? Ugh. Utter, <laughs> utter nightmare to deal with these. But everybody likes the sensitivity of the tire. Sure. Um, you can make the tires are really thin. And the term they use a lot in cyclocross is supple. Is the tire supple? And I think we were talking about that means it has relatively thin sidewalls. Um, it means it yields. Yes. It yields to inconsistencies in the ground. And it also yields to itself as you roll along. Uh, or it yields to the ground, just the flatness of right. the ground is. It forms to the ground. It's really sensitive. It's not. It has a very soft and pretty much this means it has a very thin sidewall, compliant and maybe a little stretchy. Yes. And um, so actually, this weekend I tried some compass tires from the guys from Bicycle Quarterly make these tires, and they're supposed to be like ultra thin, um, tubeless compatible, and they're supposed to be like tubular like ride mm. now the interesting thing is i was burping tires like crazy this weekend um because i was running cyclocross low pressure but i keep riding my cyclocross bike like it's a mountain bike so i keep burping tires <laughs> i was burping tires jumping over the barricades and landing poorly and ripping around corners and laying power down uphill over a route in a tight corner on grass with <laughs> traction <laughs> yeah it was more like <laughs> and you're like damn it <laughs> oh, and uh, then yelling out to my teammates to come with the pump so you can pump up the tire. <laughs> and luckily, the race officials didn't see where I inflated the tire because that's not exactly <laughs> that 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 ain't legal either, dude. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but so the question is, in, is with mountain bike tires, especially these heavy duty enduro tires, we're getting thicker and thicker sidewall casings, and like mm-hmm. the super gravity tires are really stiff sidewalls. And I've actually rode my trail bike recently with some Bontrager tires that have kind of a softer sidewall, higher thread count. And they just, the tires felt way better. And I think maybe in the mountain bike world with so much suspension, we kind of ignore sidewall. Maybe that's something we could talk about is like, at what point do you start making tire decisions in the mountain bike world based on sidewall compliance? So I would say that... um 
the most compliant sidewall that you can run without folding it over and, and or ripping it too much. Right. But like, what are the markers? Because one of the things that I never totally really wrapped my brain around was like TPI and thread count and stuff like that. High thread count, high thread count means compliant and thin. Lower thread count is going to be a thicker, thicker threads and a more stiff tire. And typically less expensive, right? Well, those really high thread count tires are expensive, but in, in our world, a lot of times it's, they're not getting high enough thread count for that to be a driving factor of the, like we're paying for like on our, like on, on the kind of tires we like in this room, I think we're more paying for like multiple compounds and, um, because we're not going like, like certain cross country tires and road tires are really, really thin and really high thread count, like 120 TPI and stuff. And I think, I I don't think we're right. Riding anything over like sixty TPI probably is my guess. What are those Bontrager Team Issue tires? Because I thought those were one twenty. They might be. Yeah, if it's a full on cross country race tire, it might be one twenty. No, it was their Team Enduro tire. Oh, really? What is that? Might be something I'm not familiar with. What's the um? What is it that the X? It's the SE five. So it's a Super yeah. Enduro five. I'm just curious because those were the tires I rode because I was running some Super Gravities midsummer. And I finally took them off. I was like, these things ride like they're bricks. Like they just, I was just having a heck of a time getting the bike to feel compliant and kind of like, you know, the suspension was working, but it just felt like the tires were super hard. Well, in addition to that, I feel that way about super gravity tires too. And I feel like they still don't give me the confidence of a real downhill tire for some reason. Interesting. Um, so I think part of it is whether it was built to be, I think the super gravity tires are, are made just a theory, maybe more built to stop rips and punctures where a downhill tire is built to be stiff in corners when you're trying to, when it's trying to fold over. Interesting. That's mm. a 60 TPI. The SE5, I was trying to find the information on the website. So it's 60. That's what it shows. Yeah. For the team issue. For the yeah SE5 team issue. 60 TPI. Yep. Okay, interesting. It but felt, I have no doubt that man. it's a pretty compliant tire. But I wonder also, like, when you get into a rubber compound mixed in with the TPI thickness, sidewall thickness, right. I mean, there's so many factors on the mountain bike. So they're trying to, seems like they're trying to strike that balance of not having that thing, that sidewall torn to shreds, but still making it compliant. And light. And light. Right. Like the EXO tires on the Maxis. Maybe that's. So these these Bontrager SE5s, so when I raced Mammoth earlier this season, I was contemplating running these tires, mm-hmm. except Mammoth is really rocky and can cut tires. Right. These particular tires, I weighed them, and they're the same weight as an EXO high roller. They're like 900 grams. Right, right. And so even though this was their full enduro tire, I the still ended up running a WTB tough tire which is the full dual ply enduro tire at mammoth and it they weigh in like 1100 grams so i really wanted to ride this tire because i it does feel really good but i was concerned about the cutability in that it wasn't any more protection from sidewall cuts over than like a intermediate trail tire like a exo it's hard to imagine that it is more protection right Unless there's some kind of 
something in the sidewall that they're not aware of. Right, which would anything I know of that would um, help eliminate tears and punctures would also make it less compliant. Right. Short of like the the EXO is like a Kevlar layer or something like that. But right? I believe Kevlar is not stretchy. It's not stretchy. Which is not compliant. Yes. But like the super gravity has a whole like rubber insert thing that actually makes it like but, but I do think that. Kevlar's foldy, which yes. is you know, that's very good. Helpful. So super grav tires maybe they they feel stiff, right? I mean the sidewalls feel stiff. They feel very stiff, like a like a downhill tire. There's a part where it kind of thins out through the tread area, but that sidewall feels very downhill tire like. Right. So I wonder. That's kind of interesting. I, I wasn't a fan. I felt like I was getting like downhill weight and 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 slow rolling without that quite like downhill tire confidence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And so I'm. I guess that when it comes to and this this kind of point tipping point in the enduro world is like you know when do you run a full downhill tire and when when do you run a lighter weight tire and then what are you getting with that lighter weight tire i would say you run a full downhill tire when it's pointed downhill enough to overcome the rolling resistance that that full downhill tire provides right that's a big part of the equation and when there's enough gnar to to think that your odds of of DNFing on something less or high. Right. And so have you been to Mammoth? I've not been to Mammoth. Okay. But, Ak, you've been to Mammoth. I've been, yeah. I'm just trying to think of what, like, a trail that we've both ridden and what your time What I know about Mammoth is that there's a lot of loose and embedded rocks, and I know that's a recipe because you slide into the embedded rock and they... Right. So maybe you chose well. Maybe, but I'm. I guess I'm. What I'm. Uh, the original point is I'm. I'm starting to appreciate. Yeah. Well, may and I'm also thinking maybe I'm getting indoctr- indoctrinated or brainwashed into the cyclocross world of supple tire, right? Right. But going back to the mountain bike routes, at w- at what point is there some gains to be made? I mean it 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 seems like there there are gains to be made. I think so. I'm a big fan of a fast rolling tire, and I I think I maybe pay more attention to how fast a tire rolls than a lot of people. And I think there's definite. I've I've noticed what you were talking about, Nathan, about a more supple tire feeling like it rolls a lot, like it rolls faster. Right. I wonder if the if the if certain brands just in general roll are more supple side side cases. Not just the well, it's not just the side casing. I think it's the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, and that not squishy. Yeah, and not just the difference between like a super grav and um, what do you call it? What, what's um, Schwalbe's EXO? They, like the oh, they have a trail skin. Yeah, their trail skin is like an EXO snake skin. Right, snake skin. I'm sorry, snake skin. Right, so like. I recently switched from a a Magic Mary to a a mag- two point three five snakeskin Magic Mary to a two point five Maxis uh, DHF EXO tire uh, on the front on the front of one of my bikes, and I noticed a significant 
what I perceived, significant perceived improvement in that in speed of rolling. Speed of and see, different tread pattern, not it's crazy a different. different crepe, right? Those but, are pretty tall knobs, though. Tall enough to impact the rolling. On a Magic Mary? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so I've, I've thought about that, but I wonder if there is something about just the general sidewall compound between, say, maybe it's a different philosophy, saying we want a little more for the comparable tire casings. We want a little more cut resistance at the expense of being supple and maybe more on the Maxis side they're like we want a little more supple at the maybe a little expense of the would you guys say that the snakeskin compounds are more cut resistant than the EXO compounds that I don't know see in my mind that's an equivalent technology it's an equivalent weight price point purpose mine too in general Um, I haven't I've cut EXO tires I've, the only EXO tire that I've really, truly cut a sidewall on is the Ardent. But the Ardent is the, lightest. as far as I know, it's the lightest 27.5 EXO tire from Maxxis by like over 100 grams. So That's an interesting point that not all EXO casings are created equal. It's, it seems like a big weight difference. Like the Ardent's like well, a 750, it, 780 tire. But it also has a really small knob relative to the... Or are yes. they? Like if you feel the, the casings, do the casings feel different? Yeah, see, I don't know if the casings feel different on the, on the Ardent versus the... On the Ardent versus the... Um, like a, um, DHF or DHR. That'd be an interesting thing to play around with. I have kind of felt that maybe they were in the past. Oh, interesting. But it's it might have been a perception a perception thing. The Arden's one of the older tires in the lineup, though, too. That's like that's an old tread pattern. Oh. It's not a new, you know, like the high roller has a high roller two, which I think. Right. Are, so maybe that's one of the older tooled tires. EXO casings. Yeah, so maybe the yeah. EXO casing has changed over time as well. And maybe that one just wasn't updated. Well, what about maybe the casing's the same, but there's more rubber on one of them? See, that's what I think. And that explains the weight difference. Because I believe maybe the casing goes into a mold and then they add rubber. I don't know. I'm not quite totally dialed on how a tire is manufactured, but I think it, that that casing might go into the mold and then they add rubber. So maybe in some so they tires could, they add more rubber than... The mold has more room for rubber, maybe. Oh, Okay. Well, see, and that's what I'm kind of wondering between can the amount of rubber, say, I don't know, say the, oh, see, that doesn't really make sense. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely there's casing thickness and rubber thickness. Right. 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 So what I, I guess what, what you're saying is my theory is maybe it's an older tire and they can't change the technology. You're saying, well, the mold is fixed, but they should be able to update the casing if that was mm. if that was. Well, if maybe an EXO casing is an EXO casing and it's the mold that would make it different if they're different. That's just one theory. Yeah. If they're even different. We are making this judgment off one data point. We don't even have these here in front of us right now. Yeah. It's also one one data point is, oh, yeah, I cut an EXO ardent (laughs) once. (laughs) Anecdotally speaking. Well, someone said no one would finish the Trans-Provence on an EXO. That's another EXO comment blazed in my brain. Yeah, I. But you know what? And it was given I mean, at an influential time. Yes, I have time, definitely yeah. cut full downhill casings as well, just for wow. additional. Wow. I mean, if you ride downhill a lot, you're going to cut a downhill tire. Right. 
Yeah. Sometimes I think if you're going full speed and you catch a rock right, I mean, you can catch the edge of a rock with a knife edge. And it doesn't matter what kind. Of it doesn't matter. For sure. And if your tires are maybe a little bit wet or, just, you know, there's a lot of factors. Yeah. Right. Wet tire cuts easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've cut so many tires. I've cut the, the real bummer is when you really slice a brand new tire, like first ride out and you slice it. Yeah. Yep. That's happened to me more than once. You know who really hates that? Customers and people who have to help those customers. (laughs) I just bought this thing yesterday and rode it once. I have, this is the first tire that's ever done that to me. Oh, Oh, well then I'll give you a new one. Be more, be more than happy to sell you another one. <laughs> do, do you do you want to expand upon the specialized tire policy at all, or is that for another show? Back when we were a specialized dealer, and I don't think they do this anymore. They would we would sell a lot of tire. They, they would take it was a ninety day satisfaction, no questions asked return policy. Oh dang! Right now, the funny thing is, I think the path was the only one that said really. Well, we'll start telling our customers. No other shops would tell you that. No other shops basically said, great, this is a selling point. We will tell you this. Yeah, when a customer is looking at a tire, a specialized tire, we would say, um, well, there's no risk in trying it because if you don't love it, you can just return it. And we sold a lot of specialized tires, I think. Specialized fired the wrong shop. <laughs> At the same token, though, how big was the stack of returns? <laughs> it was it was very very small compared to the shipments of tires that coming we were selling. In. Right, very right. very small. But I I think I actually got a tire under that and sliced one. You're like, all right, get another one. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah, was inside in like, ninety days. To your to your point, I mean to to my point, how many tires do you like think about that what that little bit of insurance did if it made you buy five more tires, you think it was worth it to specialize to give you that one tire? In that in that era of ninety day satisfaction guaranteed tires and the path still selling specialized, I was hundred percent sold I would buy nothing but specialized tires yeah. from you guys. End of story. Like that's what I was getting. <coughs> so get. maybe like eight tires a year. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. That's not bad for giving away one tire. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. You might have they might have had to give another one away a year later. I never even got that warranty and that's I ran specialized tires exclusively. (laughs) You know, special I I wasn't gonna say it because I didn't want to, but specialized tires are very compliant. (laughs) They're very supple. They really are. It's one of the things is for that kind of very light trail application. I feel they really did tune that tire thickness very well. They had pretty good cut resistance too. They weren't bad. Yeah. I would say the control casing is a little more fragile than an EXO, but also lighter and more supple. Significantly lighter, I think. So maybe you can confirm or deny this, but there, there was some discussion that the bond trigger tire guy once upon a time came from specialized. Oh, interesting. Well, I think they're all made by Vittoria, maybe. And I I think you can kind of see some of the thread of production. Oh, uh, okay. The commonality. Yeah, the Vittoria tires. They're good tires, the Vittorias. Yeah. I tried them. I, I just wore one out, but 
I really liked it. I had no problems with it through the life of it. I ran that was that one when we were in Sedona, Ock that you looked at and said it's time for a new retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was it was pretty smoked. <laughs> the graphene tires. Which we still don't really know what graphene does in tires yet. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh do we wanna wrap up with any listener questions or do we wanna call it a show? I could do a listener question or two. Okay. All right. You have some on point? We got Cameron. Okay. <clears throat> hey, Cameron. Cameron enjoyed hearing about Sedona, and he's he's headed through um, the southwest, and, and he's going to be riding in Tucson. and um, Or no, he spent some time riding in Tucson, and um, he might he's planning a trip. He might come by the shop, and we recommend that he does. Highly. Um. He has a he, he has a good comment on the freezing the bladder thing. He pointed out that um, if you have any liquid in your bladder and mm-hmm. you freeze it and then drop your bladder, that liquid will act like a knife and cut your bladder. That is very true. <laughs> so that's a know. good suggestion is if you're going to use the freezer bladder thing. Empty it do, out. Empty it out. Um, Sounds like what my mom used to tell me all the time. <laughs> Got to empty your bladder. <laughs> Before you freeze it or it'll cut it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not quite that far. <laughs> but the real the real heart of the question is, you know, with all of the longer, lower, slacker stuff, how far is too far? Mm. Ah. Well, we were so, kind of touching on that a little so, bit. So um, you know, Cameron mentions um I hear a lot of discussion about the benefits of this modern geometry, but not much on the downside. There's always a trade-off. What are we giving up? Um, maybe you guys can discuss the pros and the cons of these modern geometries. And I think that's a good point. There is always a downside. Of ev- Everything is a trade-off. So um, one big trade-off, I would say, right off the bat with the slacker geometry, the long reach and the slack head angle both contribute to this. It's tough to steer the bike by just turning the handlebars. It doesn't really turn the bike anymore. Right. You got to lean it over. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of what we were touching on earlier is like when these bikes get really long, low, and slack, you got to ride them. They don't wake up until you ride them that way. They encourage you to ride them like, like a champ, and they slap you around if you don't. It's right. like a jealous significant other. So, Ock is referring to a comment that I think I made once upon a time. About Was it about the Ventanis? Or? It was about the Ventanis. And we were kind of talking about how as long as you stay up over the front end and really push it and act and, and kind of take charge, the bike rewards you with a good feeling of confidence. And as soon as you kind of get back behind the seat and get act a little bit scared, um, it just mocks you. It doesn't do anything you want it to do. Yeah. yeah. So. Does it do the longer, lower slacker bikes resonate more with the more aggressive, experienced riders? And in other words, like a new person coming in, should they at least have a good understanding of the cons of like, you need to ride this bike like you mean it. And if you're still just learning and kind of fumbling, and like if you're really new, could it be hard to get better on that bike? I think that that was a theory for a long time. That was something we talked about in the inside of the industry a lot. And, and like people like me would talk to people who, who sell me bikes about this kind of thing about, 
you know, does the average rider need a, a very different bike than the elite downhill racer for downhilling, for example? And that's kind of like a, another expression of the same question, I think. And I think that um, surprisingly, a lot of times it's really not that different. And I also think that for that newer, maybe less skilled rider, that doesn't mean they should be riding the bike in what we used to think was good for. Remember when we'd go for a ride with a new rider and we'd take them down their first little steep section and we would all just sit there and yell at them to get further back. <laughs> right. Get back. Right. Further back. No, further back. Get back. Get back. Get back. Get back. Back, 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 back. Like, like that was what it sounded like with all of us coaching our new <laughs> right, friend. Right, 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 right. And that's not, that is no longer the right way to approach that section. No. And the modern equipment supports not approaching that section that way, even for the less experienced rider. Right. So I think, and also that less experienced rider is going to be imitating body language and positioning of everyone else who hopefully is riding with good form and utilizing the benefits of modern equipment. Right. So I guess one one downside of old school geometry is if you stick to old school riding styles, it sucks. Yes. Right. Like you can't be way back behind the seat all the time on a long, low slack bike. But the good news is you can be up over your bottom bracket with neutral weighting and powerful. Cause if you're way back like that and you hit a bump, it's hard to support your own weight and it's hard yeah. to be smooth. So you can be up over the bottom bracket where you're neutral and smooth and you can have a relationship to the front wheel like we used to have when we got back, 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 back. <laughs> right? Like way back. Right. Because right. the front wheel is now way out in front of us. Right. But yeah, big downside is less agility, I would say, to long, low, and slack. Right. Less agility, and you need to commit harder to turn it, but it rewards that commitment. Now, now, not not to sound like a broken record or anything, but I'm, I'm thinking of, again, like, we have terrain, but what about the guys that ride, say, in the Midwest, who aren't? don't have steep terrain a lot, but say ride in the woods and relatively flat and turning and twisting a lot. So they are like steering the, you know, it's like low middle ring riding or <laughs> yeah. When we had three chairs, right? Like it's kind of like moderate speed and then windy through the woods, but relatively flat, like little ups, little downs, but at no point, even back in the day where they like getting back behind the seat and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a good question. I can't claim to be an expert on that, but like my friend Jason who lives in Jersey and owns halter cycles swears by the new high tower and they have the kind of riding you're describing for sure. See, I thought Jersey actually has some terrain though. Like they have, I don't some know the way he describes it. It's pretty woodsy and twisty and, and like flattish. a lot of up and over logs and okay. not a lot of real steep descending. Right. Maybe I misunderstand. Well, I'm Up, thinking he rides like, like upstate New York, I think. And I'm thinking like the trail that we have here, like the Fullerton Loop, is fairly flat and mellow. Like there's nothing really steep there, except that one section where everyone breaks themselves off. Mm-hmm. But okay, so yeah, what, that's just a straight ahead. Okay, or better yet, off. like let's let's say for the, just for the sake of argument, you were going to go ride. You're going to park at Wahoo's. And just ride up the fire road and do just a lower section of whiting with right. like very little elevation change. Right. What exactly. head angle? What head angle do you want? Or, or at that point, if that's if you ride trails like that over and over and over, at some point, are you like, Jesus, things like a sled that meant to go faster, I can't really get it to go this fast, and I don't really understand why it has such a slack head angle. I'm 
I don't point downhill that much. Right. It's that question of what speed the bike comes to life at. Yeah. That's a really important question when hitting a bike. And angle right. And, you know, pitch angle. I think that's a good part of that. I mean, they're related, right? I mean, right. Like I would, you know, in that, in that scenario or even like in Santiago Oaks in the flat area, right. there's some windy trails right. through the woods and stuff. It's kind of a Blair unique Witch, spot. Yeah. yeah the Blair Witch okay. Area. So Blair Witch, I would rather be on a long, low slack bike than a not long, low slack bike, but maybe not the longest, lowest, slackest. Got it. Okay. Because I right. still want to corner aggressively with my elbow out up over the bars. Right. And if long and, and low slack. And to me, that down. long, low slack is all about being able to do that and having a relationship to the front wheel that's not stupid. It's not scary. Right. And maybe it's long, low slack, but, you know, the modern, playful, aggro 29er short travels. But right. I also exhaust right. myself sprinting through those sections. So, like, okay. maybe some people don't. Right, exactly. Like, I get more tired in there sometimes than I do on the climbs because I get to the climb and I just shift way down and take it easy. <laughs> so there, there is kind of a unique a, a unique case, case study on the industry right now. I, Ibis made the uh, – there's the old Ripley, and then they retooled it, and there's the new Ripley. The LS. The LS, which is like the long, low slack version of the Ripley. And I think there was a, a write-up recently in one of the online somewhere. I'm sure if you Google, like – Ripley, Ripley LS shootout, it'll pop up. And it was like on pink bike or I'm pretty sure it was on pink bike. Um, and someone compared the two and it wasn't, there were pros and cons. And I thought that was a really good write up. So anybody who's more interested, Google that write up. And it was, I thought it had some interesting points. I think ultimately it sided with the long, low slack one. But it other than like, not being as agile and coming to life at a higher speed, did it list any other cons for long low slack? I don't remember. It did have some comments about the climbing, and I, I don't totally remember. The conventional wisdom that you need was that you needed like a seventy-one degree head angle to climb fast, but I think that's fading. Yes. You know what? Next time we have Brendan in, we should pick his brain because I think he got to ride both of them at um, Outer Bike this year. So I'd be really curious to get his opinion because I think he actually did that that um, mm, um, that comparison, the Pepsi challenge. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And I think the the non LS even has longer chain stays. Like it's, I think they changed all of it. Straight wow. old school. Yeah, it was longer chain stays. Everything. Well, you. Those shorter chain stays do become way more critical with the, the, if the design of the bike is that it's meant for you to ride up over the handlebars, then you need short chain stays. If the design of the bike is that you're meant to ride behind the saddle, you maybe need a little longer chain stays. For that same reason, where a lot of this too uh, is about the rider's relationship with the axles. Yes. Yeah. Essentially, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, it's the, the axle is your feet and your hands. Right? So if the, if the rider moves forward, ideally both the rear axle and the front axle move forward, which is slack head angle, short chain stays. Yes. And I do think that a bike that encourages a rider to a bike that, um, that encourages or, or facilitates a rider riding with their hips, basically right over the bottom bracket, even in pretty scary terrain is it's a good bike and a rider who does that is a good rider right but for steep gnarly terrain all in for long low slack yes yep 
<laughs> but how long and how yeah, low? And how, how long? How long? How so long. I think there is that too. I mean, so we need to we need to order. Well, I'm gonna take the odd man out and say we pull our money and we're, we'll order a medium Mondraker for you guys to try. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that 65 is past ideal for me for a trail bike, but still fun when that trail bike gets into the more rowdy moments of trail biking. But you you definitely feel like you're biasing the ride and you're paying for On it. On most places. normal trails I feel like um like it just feels more neutral with a little steeper head angle than 65 for 27 and a half inch wheels. Right. Mm. Cuz it's going to be different for different wheel sizes, right? Right. Yeah. It's an uh, interesting question. Downsides, trade-offs. Longer, lower slacker. Longer, lower slacker. <laughs> There's no free re- no free lunch. <laughs> no free lunches in nature, right? Or bike geometry. So, th- yeah, and the PS is that um, that he would be only three or four hours from us when he goes to Tucson, and maybe you should come visit, and definitely we'll take you riding, show you a good time. Yes. I think we're a little farther than three hours from Tucson. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. But, but well, come, come and join us. We'd be more than happy come anyway. come We're three hours from Tucson, and this is the last climb. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it won't be long. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's downhill a, after that. It's, it's, right. it's an easy ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> since, since actually I, I technically don't know you, I guess I can't lose you as a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't friend friend lose you in our rugged exactly. local mountains. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another question or call it? Want to do one more? Sure. One so more. Chris, um, he in episode thirty one, after discussing Nathan's success at the Kamikaze Games, we brought up um, spinal cord injuries, and. Um, this gentleman is, hope it's a gentleman. K R I S might be a woman. Um, this person, I don't hope you're a gentleman. I just hope I got it right. Um, <laughs> this person is. I wish I could grab that as a soundbite. <laughs> you could. This you person could, is a program coordinator for the Adaptive Recreation Nonprofit in Seattle. And basically, from the, it looks like they see some spinals and uh, some spinal trauma. And um, they serve anyone with a disability, children with autism, to individuals with spinal cord injuries. Um, so when we brought up spinal cord injuries, it immediately grabbed his attention. And we were talking about how roost guards and chest protectors are mandatory in some places now in Europe for certain events and stuff. And Chris thinks that's a good idea. And he, you know, we were kind of alluding to how. Ca- Packs can maybe be spinal protection. Mm -hmm. And Chris is aware of a specific incident where someone broke their back because the pump in their pack, the head of the pump was, you know, crushed their spine. So Chris basically agrees that a pack could be helpful in protecting from a spinal trauma, but not if you pack the wrong thing in the wrong place. It could be. A, yeah. It could make it worse. You know, I and I don't know if he was referring to this, but I remember hearing a story that this happened to Mike King, and Mike King was an old school BMX mm. slash downhill pro. Right. 
yeah, I I've rarely seen PK more forlorn, more sad. It really hit PK hard when when Mike crashed up. It was up in Summit, right? That sounds familiar. I think it was on the twenty-seven and a half jump. Yeah, and it was. I remember hearing it was a shock pump in the backpack problem. Oh, really? Yeah, that's wow, heavy. specifically what I remember. So anyway, be careful. So in other words, be careful how you pack your pack and be, you know, and that and that may be something to be said for using like a camelback kudu with the you know a, a pack with the back protector in it. It not only right. protects you from the ground, but maybe it the protects you from in the, your pack. the contents of your pack. Correct. Which can emulate things on the things ground, on the ground. There you have it, folks. All right. All right. Should well, we happy trails it up? Should we love the bike you ride it up? I, I think we need to recap with your ending quote of, it's not that I hope you're a, a guy, so I hope I got it right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are not gender biased. We just like being right. That's right. <laughs> we just don't want to be surprised. I just went out on a limb, realized I was out there, and hoped I wasn't falling. That's all. <laughs> nothing against women, and nothing against, and, and I'm sure we should probably figure out what the women's equivalent of getting kicked in the dick is. Too. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling we'll. Maybe get an email response Possibly. Yeah, you really hurt my feelings. That might be the woman's equivalent. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably going to get something on that one, too. Dang it! (laughs) Why don't we just cut it here? I was was mocking chauvinists. I am not one of them. I was mocking them. (laughs) Maybe we should just wish each other happy anniversary. And And love the bike you ride. Love the bike you ride. All right. Good night. (laughs) 